I agree with you. I like your shirt. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Hugo Knots here to review for you the best sci-fi books of all time. This week, we are reviewing the Mars Trilogy. One, two, three. Red, green, and blue. Um, and don't forget to like, subscribe, download so you don't miss another episode. The next episode we're doing is on Children of Time. Brent, you want to give us the rundown on the Mars Trilogy real quick? Yeah. So this week, we're talking about the Mars Trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, Three books, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars. Uh, Each of them won either a Hugo or a Nebula Award. They came out between 1992 and 1997, and they're all pretty long, Uh, 572 to 750 pages, or if you're listening on audiobook, 24 to 32 hours. So these are long books. There's a lot happening. We're going to get into it. So... uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that. So it's the year 2027 and humanity is colonizing Mars. A hundred scientists, engineers and astronauts take the first colony ship to Mars uh, across the interplanetary gap. And Red Mars follows about 10 of those first hundred colonists uh, over the first 40 years of life on Mars. They build towns and cities, uh, establish industries, become self-sustaining and sort of uh, uh, able to to support themselves uh, without Earth's assistance. And they begin to terraform the red planet as well. Um, And most importantly, sort of for the plot, I guess, is tens of thousands of more people keep immigrating from Earth. And several competing visions for the future of Mars Averge. Uh, for instance, there's the Reds who think we shouldn't be terraforming and they really like rocks. Um, there's the Bogdanovists who want sort of an alternative economic system. And everybody on Mars kind of agrees that they don't like immigrants and um, don't want raw materials getting exported to Earth. And so that sort of, sort of sets up this big conflict between uh, uh, what is happening on Mars and what the people living on Mars kind of want to be happening. So, yeah, that's the that's the Bucks. Yeah, and then, you know, after red Mars, we kind of get we get green Mars and blue Mars as like a continuation of what's happening on Mars right. and what's happening on Earth. Yeah, um, with and, no spoilers, and, let's just say that they like they they each pick up where the last one left off. Green Mars is kind of a continuation of that same conflict between Earth and Mars, um, and blue Mars is more about sort of what happens to the characters. After that, talking about trilogies with no no spoilers is tough, but that's what you got. There, all there's a lot that yeah. happens in all of them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's helpful to know that they continue. Uh, they continue like that. Um, so, all that being said, I think we'll, we're going to rate each book, the series as a total, and then each book overall. Um, and I rate the trilogy as like a, a four out of five. I think red four point five, green three point five, blue three point five. There's some aspect of dwindling attention span which we'll talk about um but overall uh kind of like a difficult and rare accomplishment by kim stanley robinson in writing uh you know a middle future um very hard science fiction realistic look at what it might be like to colonize um the planet and what that might look for the hegemony of humanity for sure. Yeah. So I overall would give it a three stars. Um, I agree. It starts off very strongly. I'd give red Mars a four, uh, green Mars, a three and blue Mars though. I would give a one. I think there's like a really, I think, I think I see this, the decline a little bit steeper than you do. Straight um, one. Yeah. I really okay. did not, really did not like that book. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, so uh, so yeah, what, I guess, what should we say about, about the, 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 the characters and, and, and plot of this book? Who, who are we talking about and, and what happens to them? 
I think first things first, uh, just worth mentioning, it is not episodic series. Got to read red, then blue. Uh, sorry, then green, then blue. Uh, Brent, I believe you read because they you were doing a Hugo list. You did green, then blue, then red, and that did not work out for you. Yeah, it was in retrospect. It, uh, everything made like more sense, and it made me appreciate Green Mars more after I read Red Mars. I still think Blue Mars is still just bad. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> sure. you definitely have to I read mean, them in order. Yeah, and I think, I mean, most people approach things that way, but we just find it's helpful to know. Because sometimes, you know, like Forkosigan Saga, you can... There's suggested orders, but you could kind of jump yeah, in where like you want. Or like cycle with Ursula K. Le Guin. You can jump around there. Right. Not in this case, though. Definitely read them in order. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, b- basically, uh, the series follows like these, the first hundred um, or a select group within them uh, who colonize Mars. And then in Green Mars, uh, we get the second generation, you know, their children. Um, and then that's kind of where we stop uh, gaining new main characters, uh, because he tells the story in, uh, kind of like a third person perspective, but from the events around one character at a time in these large sections. Um, so you'll get, you know, the story of what this character's doing, uh, even though it's, it, it, it's still in a kind of a third person omnipotent voice. Um, you're, you're just seeing what this character is doing and how they're interacting with the other characters. And then the next section is a different character. So seeing that through the first and second generation, um, of characters, it's an interesting, uh, authorial voice for him to use because it feels almost like you're going to see, uh, the, the voice of each character, um, through their section and you get a little more of them, um, his dialogue is quite good. Um, you get a little more of them because you're you're following them the whole time, but it's not really from their perspective. You're still hearing the thoughts and feelings of other characters at the same time. And um, it doesn't really feel like the, the voice switches. Um, it's very consistent. So whether or not you're following one character or the other... Um, you're not you're not really feeling the character through the writing itself. Um, you're... F- hence the third person om- omnipotent uh perspective there uh but it 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 does really work in the story i think and i think it's because his his dialogue is strong um and his description is uh albeit dense it is <laughs> quite detailed yes we will so get into that lose a things bit more too. <laughs> yeah i think that um I'll just, I'll just gripe about the characters a little bit. I think they start off really strong, but because the book covers such a, a long period of time, Kim Stanley Robinson does something pretty interesting, which is he tries to have, and does have the characters change a fairly large amount throughout the book. So normally that's something I really enjoy. The thing I don't like here and that took me out of it pretty significantly is that um, as humans, we actually tell ourselves stories about our lives, right? Like when we change, there's usually like, this is, I am telling myself that this is why this is happening to me. This is a good thing. That's okay. And because we never really get into the heads of the characters, you don't get to feel that story of themselves. So watching from the outside, you're like seeing this person do different things. And it just, it feels harder to know them if that makes any sense. And and that leads me to feeling sometimes like they're doing things that like aren't internally consistent with how they think and feel. Um, Happens more in the later books. In Red Mars, I, I didn't really feel that way. But uh, anyway, small point, but I think it's, there's something interesting there about story. And I think there's something there about like what makes a good novel is like we're all telling, we all want our lives to be like a story, right? Um, 
And in some ways it didn't feel like you could like see that story of the characters in these books. You know, I, I feel like we don't, this doesn't always happen. Um, but I, I disagree. Hmm. I think, I think that, uh, you're getting the, the thoughts and you're seeing inside their heads, um, of, you're seeing inside the heads of many characters at the same time, not just necessarily the character you're following. But I do think you get a really strong sense of some of the characters, not necessarily all of the characters, but I feel like a lot of them are quite well-defined in their aspirations, how they change. Um, and that was one of maybe my my favorite parts of this series from a story perspective, because um, we'll get into a little bit, like we'll get into how they're not stories in the traditional narrative sense, but um, I think that's what held me in in the, that was the thing holding me in, in the story perspective, uh, was, was that the characters was watching them grow, change and, and the decisions they made. Yeah. Um, interesting. so since we don't disagree a lot, definitely comment how you felt about this. If you're watching YouTube or feel free to shoot us an email at hugonautspodcast at gmail.com. Cause we'd love to hear, I don't know. We don't disagree a lot. It'd be That's nice true. to hear what other people thought about this. Yeah, for sure. So what um, about, uh, what about yeah, the themes to, here? Yeah. This is hard science fiction. Um, there's some people use the term now mundane science fiction, which is like where you're not extrapolating any science that um, we don't already know is possible. You know, there's no like FTL drives, um, for example. Uh, but he is he is jumping uh, in the future. So there's, there's new technology, but it's not necessarily anything that's not well described. And it is well described here. Kim Stanley Robinson, just so much detail the whole time, perhaps why they're so long and about not only about, um, the science, but also about the soft sciences too. Right. Yeah. I think that's my favorite part of of the series, particularly in red Mars and green Mars is we're seeing like literally the planet get built, but we're also very much seeing like society get built and it just felt so much. It felt like I was like seeing what it might've been like to live in like revolutionary times in America as an American, you know, that's like our, you know, thing we think about where there's like a, cause, cause there's like a small yeah. enough group of people that they can all like talk to each other. Like literally everybody who has an opinion about the future of Mars, like they, personally know each other and they have chatted about it. And it is so interesting to, to think about a world like that where our politics now is so, there's so many people, you know, like you can't really, it's all about like getting the politicians are all trying to get like other random people to agree with them. They don't really actually talk to each other. Um, and it just was a really interesting view into that like smaller world. And how do you think about like the creating of a beginning of a society? Um, and I don't necessarily like agree with all the ideas that, that come out, but I loved that like really interesting feeling of, of creation, both of the planet and of the society. And that was really, really, really cool. There's two constitutional Congresses. Like they have, not only are there a bunch of scientific, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conferences in, in especially green Mars and blue Mars, but there's a constitutional Congress in each one. Um, and there's a lot of like lawmaking, policy making. how do we deal with, how does Mars deal with earth? How do they deal with immigration? What does everyone want to do, uh, about, um, industry on the planet? Uh, and, and yeah, it go, it goes on. 
It so surely it, it does. Reads, yes. It reads, honestly, uh, especially Green and Blue Mars, read more like historical fiction about something, about a fictional future. Um, they're very just concerned with maybe this is what will happen in our future and in a, in a very real sense. Like, this is what people act like. Um, and he's got such a good grasp of that. But there's really no arc that's like... Uh, there, there really aren't a lot of arcs that are that are like here's where the characters are going. Here's some mystery. What's going to happen um, in the in the way that we normally tell stories, where well, we're seeing yeah. it in a scope that has that has like a beginning and an end. It feels kind of like an, an amorphous. It has a beginning, and there there are little arcs in between, but there's kind of an amorphous, long, just exploring what humans might do yeah if well, mars I, were colonized yeah i had more patience for the constitutional conventions uh because it felt like like the big conflict in red and green mars is like how will mars be governed what will the relationship with earth be and so at least those really long meetings <laughs> which is re- it really does feel like a long meeting um but at least i feel like it's like advancing the central plot and it's like okay we're going to figure out like what these people are going to be advocating for by the time you get to Blue Mars, like that conflict is resolved, but you still have like a lot of really long meetings and like scientific conferences. The scientific conferences, even in the earlier ones, kind of irked me because there was literally no like plot advancement. It's just like many pages in a row of like, let's talk about whether the windmills that we dropped on the planet to create heat like worked. And it's like very long explanation of that. And it's on the one hand, it's like interesting how deeply he thought about those things. On the other hand, reading scientific papers that are made up is like maybe you're pretty deep in a rabbit hole at that point. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And he also, I I found another interesting thing about the the scientific conferences was how um, he talked about academic like ego and the, the different academics vying against each other and like slighting someone's work because they were slighted by that person like this scientist slighted this scientist so when this scientist does their presentation they forget to reference the very relevant work of this other scientist and so it feels all of the novels feel very real they're so detailed so rich um and so realistic there's just like there's not we usually see that in good writing. We see that detailed richness then applied to a kind, you know, a fictional narrative that has a beginning and an end. And the authors decided how to guide us through that beginning and an end because in real life we just kind of keep going, right? Um, and so the the advantage of storytelling is that we get this artificial sense of of something beginning and resolving, or at least if it doesn't resolve all the way, it's kind of bittersweet, but it still feels like an end. And, and that's important in our storytelling here. Not so much like I said, it just keeps it. It's, it's, it's almost maybe too real. Maybe that's why you didn't like it. Um, I liked that, uh, for a bit, but I'm also notoriously like if I start something, I'll finish it. And if it's long enough, I'll end up liking it. So (laughs) yeah, for sure. That's, Um, that's how I feel about blue Mars. Like if you're a person who loves to like, you want to finish the series that you started and it's really important to feel like you like read the whole arc then do. But if you're not that kind of person, which like, I'm not necessarily, I want to like, I want to read really good stuff. Like that's my like life thing. Like, you know, I maybe wouldn't have read Blue Mars if I could like pick <laughs> pick again. Red and Green Mars for sure, but Blue Mars like, you know, I don't know. I don't like 
choose to attend scientific conferences that I don't have expertise in, like in the real world, you know? So I think that's like a pretty good indication. <laughs> right. Most and people as, don't either. <laughs> as we keep talking about this, it, it makes sense to me to bring, to, to bring back up that, uh, red Mars does not feel this way. It's kind of green Mars and blue Mars being tacked onto the end. Red Mars does feel like it's wrapped up nicely. There's a ton of mystery. There's an interesting arc, the way it's, the way, the way it's formatted, like how it begins. Yeah, he uses like ends. a different narrative structure too. He does like, exactly. He, he has like foreshadowing and, and, uh, um, flashbacks and flashes flashes forward to like build that tension and keep you invested in the plot and what's going to resolve. And he did not do those things in green Mars and blue Mars. I think maybe it's because red Mars is really successful and he was getting a lot of pressure to like produce the sequels quickly. That's a really, I think common thing that happens to writers. Um, but you can just tell it, it, it felt to me like there was a, a less attention put into that. Like, how do I, you know, I've got this story that I want to tell. How do I, like make it feel like a cohesive whole and f make it feel like that, that arc. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah. To make it feel like the artificial storytelling, which I was talking about. Yeah. To, it just, he just kind of launches it yep. <laughs> from yep, green yep, yep. Mars and blue Mars. Uh, although, you know, blue Mars does have used the characters to kind of bring the whole thing to some sense of fruition. Um, so I don't think personally that it's totally, uh, a wash. Um, but uh, it is, you know, you do, you are, you're in for some, you're in for some uh, attention to detail and some, if you like thinking about uh, tent cities, space elevators, uh, automated equipment, moleholes and how they work, uh, like mining of nitrogen from asteroids and and um, like moon planets i'm just looking at a list we have here yeah uh, there's genetic like so engineering much stuff. yeah uh there's yeah and and every soft science too like economics discussed in just so much detail and explored in so much detail uh psychology explored in so much detail what happens if we live longer like there's just all science and soft sciences really explored through these characters in this place that he's built. Um, yeah. So if you're into, you know, how literally very step by step, how to do like very large, interesting engineering projects and, you know, what would happen if you dug a giant kilometer wide mole hole into Mars to go way down deep near the surface and how much heat that would release into the atmosphere and how much total heat do you need to make it livable on the surface? Like all those kinds of like very technical questions about terraforming and these big engineering projects. Like if that sounds exciting to you, these are your books. Like for sure you're going to love them. Yeah. And, and uh, again, I think what we get, what Kim Stanley Robinson does so masterfully is writes this middle future science fiction. Right. And it, it's such hard science fiction. Um, but it's also incredible that he's written something that, that happens just after kind of our period, right? He's writing in the nineties. So it's about whatever, 20 years in the future for him, only five years in the future for us. We'll see if we get there. Uh, but what's tough to write about middle future stuff is that you're not creating a fictional world where you can kind of make the rules and imagine it yourself. And you're also not writing with our world in mind where you can just play off of things you see uh, happening around you and, and write, you know, just like normal fiction. Um, you have to create 
something new that makes sense that it came from the now. Um, and I think that's a lot harder of a line to ride as an author, or I'm sure it is. I've not tried it myself, um, but I can only imagine it's a lot harder to do that because you you have to you have to make it believable based on the now, but also uh, novel and imagine where we'll go next, um, and 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 make those uh, those educated guesses believable. And I think he's just done such a good job at that. And it's why it's you don't it's why it's rare you don't see it as much because it's I think just really technically difficult and um, creatively difficult to do. Yeah, for sure. No, he, he did. He definitely pulled something, pulled something very cool off here. Do you, do you um, feel like there's any, um, is there anything for you that, that like bugged you about that? I mean, we're talking about middle future that like brought you out of it a little bit or you thought he misunderstood like, yeah, there are a couple things. I, um, so he simultaneously has like all this incredible technology and they're with, you know, frankly, not that much time and effort, like making Mars into a habitable place. It's like, that's a very hard task, but they have all these incredible automated machines that with like very little human involvement can do these giant projects. But then at the same time, he's got like a huge percentage of the population of earth is like starving to death. And there's all these like resource. He's, he's always talking about how those resource constraints, but at the same time, we're seeing how they can make like unimaginable abundance with almost no human labor. And so that feels, it almost feels like kind of defeatist to me, like, and, and somewhat internally inconsistent as well, because like if we can do all this stuff, like how is there not enough food? Like plowing a field is not hard. If you have an automated robot that can do these crazy construction projects on a foreign planet. Like, um, so yeah, that did take me out of it a little bit. That's part of the push and pull of the series, right? Um, is that that's why earth wants Mars wants to move to Mars so badly because they have all that stuff no, on Earth Mars. sent all the machines the earth sent all the machines to Mars that did the terraforming they clearly that, have them. that like, makes I don't... yeah but I, I I guess one of you know <laughs> one of the one of the points is that Mars you know it's the Mars like should we be isolationist and say we made this you know if you figure it out on earth or should we include them because it's inevitable that if we don't include them and bring them up with us, they'll just overrun us. And they eventually, even to your example, in uh, Green or Blue Mars, they do uh, use, send the bots and, and like teach the Earth humans how to use them to make more food. So that's not an issue anymore. I, I, I hear you, but like the, the Earth humans sent the, the bots in the first place to Mars. And it just, the other thing that happens here that, that, people listening to the podcast and and our video wouldn't know that, but in my real life, I spend my time like working on housing and trying to fix the housing crisis in America. And this reading these books felt so reminiscent to me of like the arguments I hear all the time about why housing is too expensive on earth. It's like, Oh, there's not enough land, but like, that's not true at all. Um, Kim Stanley Robinson just like wants everyone to live in like a really small quaint village and have like whatever, 14 acres per person. But like we already don't need that on Earth. Like there is no shortage of space. We have plenty of space. You know, he, he's talking about like a Malthusian problem because there's like 10 billion people, and like that's just not at all the case. Like, it's 
you know, people always throughout history, and it's very common in sci-fi, they're always projecting like, oh, in the future, we're like about to run out of resources. But what actually keeps happening is we keep having more resources per person. Like in general, life has gotten better for many, many, many hundreds of years in a row. And so it just irks me a little bit when sci-fi like falls back on that, like, oh, well, but, you know, very soon we'll have too many people and everything's going to collapse. It's like, well, that's, is that, is it? That has, keeps not happening. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and, and I think that plays on people's, uh, especially for more, uh, like we were talking about earlier, like story stories, um, you know, like post-apocalyptic, for example, plays on people's egos in that, like, oh, well, of course I wouldn't be the one to die. It'd be kind of cool. And like, <laughs> if everyone else dies, then that means I get to stop like answering emails and I can just think about like growing tomatoes or whatever. Um, which by the way, you can do at any time you want. Um, <laughs> if you want to just step out. So should uh, we, should we, should we tie a bow around this baby? If, if people loved this book, what else should yeah, they be reading? I would just, you know, I was just stuttering for a second cause I was looking at our notes. I mean, a lot of times our, our pre-production documents are like bullet point, bullet point, talk about this. We'll free flow about this. This one is as dense as the trilogy. Um, <laughs> isn't it? So I, I was just trying to read where we were, but I feel like we pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about. Um, I think ultimately, uh, this is the first thing we've kind of disagreed on, which is interesting or uh, disagreed on a lot of aspects of, um, I liked it a lot better than you did. Um, uh, I think we both agreed Red Mars was great. So great. And yes. then you you fell off quicker than I did um on Green and Blue Mars, but they're great. It's a great trilogy if you're it's a perfect trilogy for you if you're incredibly into hard science fiction and exploring all aspects of human science from the hardest physical elements to the softest human organizational elements. It does all of the ones that you learned there was a name for in high school. Um, and, uh, so if you like that, you'll love this trilogy. And if you like a little bit of that and you want a little bit of characters, I still think you'll love the trilogy. Uh, but you are in, you are in for a read. Yes, no doubt. So if people love this book, what else should they be reading? Recommendations. Uh, well, why don't you start? Uh, sure. I will start with, um, Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. Which we uh, recently reviewed. We did. Yeah, it's also very hard sci-fi and feels, I think there's like a lot of parallels actually um, because there's no super clear plot arc. It's like, hey, I'm just going to tell you about a thing in the future that might happen. Um, and it's a very cool thing. There's like this unidentified object coming into the, the solar system. And uh, as it gets closer, it sure looks a whole lot like a spaceship. Um, and so they got to figure out what's going on with that and explore it. So anyway, a uh, very cool book. Uh, we did yeah, check out our episode on it. And uh, yeah, if you're into, if you, if you like the Mars trilogy, I'm very confident you're going to like rendezvous with Rama. Absolutely. I think it's a great wreck and you can check out our episode on that one too. If you want like a little more in depth before you start reading it. Um, the other one is kind of obvious. I think it's the expanse series. Um, similar perspective, although that is, uh, third person limited instead of kind of like third person omnipotent following around one person. But, you know, you get a similar sense of like what's happening in different areas, um, of the, of the solar system with, with each character. Um, and it's also got a similar, um, hard science fiction feel in that we really, um, 
the world building is um james Corey's word world building is really about the details um as well and and then another one that's about the details is uh the martian yeah yeah we'll close that out with the most obvious recommendation for this one but it's actually quite a i'm sure you know there's a lot in common with these again the martian is like real hard sci-fi there's a lot of like orbital mechanic stuff that you're going to learn about um and uh yeah in some ways you could all uh, you could honestly maybe argue that like the martian uh is like the prequel to to the mars trilogy like in the mars trilogy they talk about how there was like the first expedition to mars that was just temporary like maybe that was the martian um anyway so yeah ch- check it out it's really really great really fun and andy weir had such a really cool breakout story as a new author with that book so um anyway yeah definitely a fun one yeah and and uh, you know as we usually say but the recommendations go both ways probably in this episode uh well perhaps it's more likely that um people listening uh are more more familiar with martian or the expanse in particular than they are with the mars trilogy and if you've read those books and you want the denser version that's way more realistic and level tone and just about life going on then uh mars trilogy is for you um other than that brent i bid you farewell and we will see everyone next time absolutely keep reading everybody bye all right later